This podcast brought to you by Earthlink. It's Monday, December 12th, 2005. I'm Molly Wood, author of CNET's Buzz Report. And I'm Tom Merritt, author of CNET's The Real Deal. Welcome to Buzz Out Loud, CNET's podcast of indeterminate length, featuring producer Veronica, and I am told... <laughs> Some fabulous pizza. Mm, I got some pizza. Great New York style pizza in the studio. <laughs> Which for, I'm not for those not on the phone. Enjoy. <laughs> I'm sorry, we can't talk. Our mouths are full of pizza. <laughs> and I, I understand this came to you by way of, um, of some listeners who hate me. Tell yeah, us, so, tell the story, Veronica. All right, so I'm sitting at my desk and I'm getting ready to come into here, and I get a call from the security desk. They say, "Oh, your, your pizza's here." I said, "I didn't order a pizza." And so they're like, oh, well, first, and they gave me all this information. I didn't understand any of it. And so I went to one of our conference rooms where people were eating. I was like, oh, did you guys order a pizza? And they said, yeah, we did. I was like, oh, okay, good. They must have just gotten the name wrong, something. So they went down. Two minutes later, I get another call from the security desk. And he said, well, they got their pizza, but your pizza's still here. And I was like, what? What's going on? Did someone play a joke on me? Like, you know, try to get me to pay for a pizza that I didn't (laughs) order? And so I go down there and there's a note and the note says, love the podcast. Here's some food so you're not hungry today from the boys from Boston. And I said, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> and then I said, oh, man, Molly's going to be so mad. <laughs> now, see, I think maybe the boys from Boston must hate, must hate me because in Friday's podcast, I clearly stated that I was going to be out of town all week. In Boston, ironically. In Boston! Uh, so may, uh, what I'm thinking is maybe they're going to surprise you with something even cooler. No, they hate me. Oh, that's not true. No, I know. Anyway, I think that is awesome. We do not encourage our listeners to no, send their no. hard-earned no, money. No, don't send us things. Don't, it's fine. Absolutely, actually, don't send us things because we can't accept a lot of stuff through the mail. I mean, there's a list of things we can and a list we can't. So <laughs> it's safer just not to. But we really appreciate it. But it's very nice. That is absolutely awesome. Plus, I've heard that that pizza in particular, or meat cheese, is fantastic. Very good. I, I enjoy it thoroughly. All right. Let's get into the podcasting. Uh, Clogger of P2P Networks is shutting down. It's one of the uh, leading services that tries to dissuade people from using file trading by clogging the system with junk, fake files and whatnot. A place is called LoudEye. And they're basically uh, shuttering their overpeer division effective immediately because it's not profitable. Right. Guess what? It's not profitable to just go out and mess with stuff. It doesn't matter that it's also totally sleazy. And ineffective. Well, it's it's just a nice sense of justice when something that is sleazy and ineffective turns out to be the wrong thing to do for lots of other reasons, too. Right. Exactly. So. So goodbye, and uh, we won't be, we won't miss you. So here. long, and thanks for all the fake files. <laughs> Seriously, what a joke. In related news, uh, file swapping fine was upheld in court. A Chicago woman who downloaded songs for free from the Kazaa file-sharing network violated copyright law, says the court. They said, as file-sharing has increased over the last four years, the sales of recorded music have dropped by approximately 30%. That's my court voice. The court said this. I always think that's weird when the court talks. But um, it's it's usually judges. Perhaps other economic... Perhaps, it says, other Mm -hmm. economic factors contributed... But the events likely are related. So just some judge decides, ah, you know what? Kind of looks right. But circumstantial evidence. thought there was something about no. courts and circumstantial okay. evidence. All yeah. right. Now, yes, in the, in the court's ruling, they did make the statement that is a little bit specious or a little bit unproven. 
But the point is, the point of this story is that current copyright law says you cannot download the songs that you don't own off of P2P networks, and that is why this woman has to pay $22,000 in fines. And she tried to say that she was just sampling this music in order to see what CDs she might want to purchase. Now, we have talked a lot about copyright law and how we think there ought to be broad exemptions for personal use in terms of maybe file sharing and certainly the ability to, like, burn CDs for your friends. But I think the crux of this story, even way above and beyond that judge just making claims about file sharing or affecting the industry, is that currently it is against the law. Well, but there's you also... you get around that. Well, you can legally. There's all kinds of ways to get around laws, right? I mean, if your lawyer's good enough. Okay. And I think what she was we trying to... We cannot avoid the fact that it is currently against the laws. I think what she's trying to say is, I didn't cause any harm, right? I didn't... I, I she, Her defense was that she was sampling downloaded music to yeah. see what CDs she might want to purchase, and that her sampling should be protected under fair use. Yeah, but that... So, and fair use is an exemption to copyright law. She just lost. It's not so clear-cut that, like, oh, she stole it, so she goes to jail. I think I think in this case that, that copyright law is pretty clear on that point. Well, it is now, it, but I'm, I don't think it is in general. I, I mean, think I, I think she had a defense. and there, she's are saying years I, of, there are now years of precedent saying that P2P file sharing particularly violates copyright law. Well, there's a lot of stuff about uploading, but this is one of the first downloading cases. All right. I mean, in, in my opinion, this is that I, I don't agree that copyright copyright law should be in the state it's in right now, but I think this is pretty clear cut. It's like it is as if she were saying, "Well, I was speeding in my car, but I didn't hurt anybody." Uh, a little bit, yeah. I, I, what I don't understand is why the judge put in there the fact. I mean, the judge felt it was necessary to put in the the, the decision that file sharing does adversely affect, and I think that's to prove that her sampling def- is not a defense, that it is not fair use because it is economically harmful. Right. I think if the judge had taken the position that this sampling actually increases record sales, he would have declared it fair use. <laughs> True. Well, and what it most likely does, since it's, it is at right now unproven whether file sharing specifically is what has caused the record industry profits to go down, it probably just put, pokes a hole in that ruling and makes it possibly easier to overturn on appeal. Possibly, yeah, yeah. That, that's interesting. But so maybe he just blew it. I, I think she did. She did have a defense, and uh, it was it was a blow to fair use that it was not held upheld. I would rather, to be honest, I would rather see fair use defended in terms of like the music you already own. I think that's going to be an easier standpoint to fight from. Sure. That, well, that's because, absolutely true. Because you are in this case, you are talking about her taking you know, material to which she is in no way legally entitled. Like, she did not pay for it. Well, maybe. It, it, the fair use thing makes it makes it, uh, makes yeah, it interesting. How is it fair use if it's not any... I thought fair use was supposed to extend to stuff that you own, and then you can do whatever you want with it. How, well, would, it be, how would it be her fair use if someone else... No, fair, fair use doesn't have to do with something that you own. Fair use has to do with taking intellectual property and using it in some way. In what cases can you use it fairly? It doesn't have to do with whether you own it or not. When you, once you own it, fair use goes out the window because you own it, right? Yeah. I, mean, that's, well, I mean, it's the manipulation on what you do with intellectual property, whether you bought the medium or not. Like, I don't own Picasso picture, but if I go and I create a, a parody of it, yeah. there is some question about whether it's fair use or not, even though I don't own the Picasso picture. All right. 
I see what you're saying, but I'm still. I see what you're saying. From a continent away, you see what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Only uh, a related story: a, a marketing research firm called Ipsos Reid. We saw this on Dig. Uh, came out with a study that says only 2% of people who paid a fee to download music from the internet cited that contentious legal issues surrounding online music distribution concerned them. So they basically said that they they may pay to download music, but it's not because they're afraid of breaking the law? Virtually no one in their survey said, yeah, I'm paying to download music because, you know, I'm afraid if I get it for free, I'd be breaking the law. Nobody. (laughs) 2% of the people. It's virtually nothing. I mean, statistical error could wipe those people out. Yep. Well, and that's essentially why I think P2P is should be seen as kind of a market correction. And that, you know, even even though it is currently against the law to download these files free, the point is that consumers are in a situation where they don't have to pay too much for something that they shouldn't have to pay too much for, and that's music. Yeah, and it gets it get, you know where it gets really sticky is with video. Because is it illegal to download a recorded digital file? of a broadcast uh, uh, television show. Yeah, I don't Pro- know. Probably. Probably. Right, we'd Wouldn't all guess be. probably. But when you start to think about it, if I record that show, mm-hmm. I've created a, a digital copy of it. Is that illegal? Well, everybody would say probably not, right? Right. That that's fair use because you receive the broadcast. But then if I dub it onto tape and give it to Veronica... It becomes yeah. a little more muddy because, well, she could have watched it, but she didn't record it. But if she had, she would have fair use. So but as long as the commercials did. are still in there. Right. And she you know, probably did pay to receive the broadcast. Right. At some point. So then if I go on to BitTorrent and I download, well, I don't know, an episode of Smallville. That I happen to miss. Even that I though missed, I Exactly. And I watch it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there are commercials in it. A lot of times, sometimes people edit out the commercials, and sometimes they don't. But let's say I've watched. So you know, this is this is interesting. What what I'm getting, what I'm working up to here is, personally, I will always go to the paid source for content when it's legitimate and better quality. Right. And and almost always it is. Right. Downloading stuff off of BitTorrent is a pain. No, I know that that is exactly why people have embraced legal downloading to the extent that they have. So if I want to look at an old episode of Lost, I will probably go to iTunes, even though it has DRM and even though it has restrictions on where I can play it and how I can play it. It's just easier for me because it's, you know, it's, it's halfway decent quality. Plus, I know it's not a crappy fake file from LoudEye. Yeah, and I will get it like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas going on BitTorrent, it may take me an hour, it may take me a day, mm-hmm. even though it will be better quality and I'll be able to use it more. Right. So I, I, my, my contention all along has been people should provide undrm uh, easy-to-reproduce, high-quality files for pay, mm-hmm. and you'll make money. Yeah, because I think the same market correction that's happened in terms of people turning away from CD sales, possibly, in favor of downloaded music, is happening now with DRM. They're saying, like, forget it. You've, you have ruined the alternative by making it too difficult, restrictive, and in some cases dangerous. Yeah, and I, I have bought the DVDs of Smallville to catch up on that particular show. But I can't buy the DVDs of the fifth season for any episodes I've missed this season. I can't. I can't get yeah. them anywhere for yeah. legally. I know. I know I you know. I think the video, the TV video thing is pretty weird because I don't feel like that should be illegal. It, well, it brings up a whole host of issues because it's, I mean, yeah, radio broadcast music over the air, but it's a different, it's a different setup than whole television shows broadcast. It, That's it, why we should just have video on demand for everything. Yeah, and we'll, you know what, we'll get there eventually. And if we get that, then Nielsen is probably going to go out of business. And we'll talk more about that 
about wealthy Google users and is open source bad in a sec. Do you believe anything is possible? At Earthlink, we do. We believe the same company that delivers your lightning fast DSL connection can deliver your home phone service and wireless service too. One company for all your communication needs. Visit earthlink.net and start believing today. Earthlink, we revolve around you. Poor oh, Nielsen. So what's going on with Nielsen this time? They're so scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've talked before about how they've been they've been kind of slow in terms of coming around to the idea that they need to measure um, the frequency of, of shows being TiVo'd and some, reported. Some would say careful. Careful and or slow, yes. I'll take the other side here. I, I, I tend to agree with you that they have been slow, but there is some legitimacy to them saying, but we want to get it right. We don't yeah. want to just rush into it and throw out some numbers. We want but to get meanwhile, good shows have died. <laughs> you make it sound from their caution. Like an emergency. People have died. Well, not people, oh, but shows. Good shows. Firefly, if you talk to fans of Firefly. <laughs> oh yeah, and I agree with that. They will. They will tell you it was murder. Anyway, now Nielsen is especially freaked out, but in a hurry about mobile TV because yeah. it because mobile content now and mobile video is starting to become such a huge deal that it's like if Nielsen doesn't figure out a way to track it and fast, then their clients are going to go away. Well, I think they've, they've sort of learned their lesson with TiVo because they were talking as far back as 2000 about time-shifted viewing and TiVos and DVRs, and, and they dragged their heels because it's hard right. to figure that stuff out. I and mean, then to, as to result, figure out, well, what is the rating if somebody watched it live, somebody watched it uh, on on a one day delay, and somebody watched it two weeks later. Right. What is the rating of that? They dragged their heels on that because they didn't think that many people had it, and then they finally rolled it out really late. Well, and, and not as, and not up to snuff. And as a result, the industry started getting its numbers from TiVo because TiVo was standing there going, "Dude, I know." Yeah, but the, you know, <laughs> How many we watched it. You, we should hasten to tell people that even though TiVo does provide numbers, I don't think that any major ad agencies are buying based solely on those numbers. They're still using Nielsen. Nielsen is still the is is still the gold standard of that. Yeah, but the fact that people are starting to buy data from companies like TiVo is what has Nielsen scared now and has them a little bit potentially on the ropes. It's Maybe. like how long are advertisers going to keep spending all that money on on basically the monopoly that is Nielsen? If Nielsen's not tracking the stuff that people are watching on video iPods. I don't think anybody's going to bring Nielsen down. They they may be they may feel their backs are up against the wall and they may be rushing to to keep up but it would take a lot to bring them down I mean arbitrary has I mean arbitron excuse me has been rating uh, radio forever <laughs> was that Freudian and they, at all oh, no it was intentional they have so many problems with how they rate and yet yeah. I mean they ran Birch out of business Birch ratings were a much more reliable and fair set of ratings but Arbitron had the market share and they ran them out so yeah I don't think Nielsen going to go anywhere. I, yeah. I, I kind of yeah. actually don't care. I just want them to get it right. And it sounds like exactly. they have woken up to the threat. That is the point, Molly. You're right there. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Google <laughs> users are more wealthy and net savvy than other users. So if you use Google, pat yourself on the back. You're wealthy, <laughs> savvy, better looking, smell better. Uh, this is a posting on Slashdot. <laughs> if you use Yahoo, AOL, wealthy. and Microsoft, you might be dumb and poor. <laughs> right. What is this? Just what? imagine how poor you would be if you didn't use Google. <laughs> oh, man. No, it's not a cause and effect thing. You can't get richer by using Google. It's just a, a study from SG Cohen and Company, another one of these market research firms, that says that people who use Yahoo, AOL, and Microsoft search engines tend to have lower wealth and less knowledge. And I, definitely the knowledge thing is true. And I imagine that the tech savviness... Of it, 
tends to... This is opening to, up a can of worms. Well, because IT professionals tend to get paid more so than, than say, at your average job because it's a specialized skill. And those are going to tend to be tech-savvy. But certainly not everyone who's tech-savvy is wealthy. No. no. Uh, we're looking at each other. No, right? I know. <laughs> totally like, tell me about it's it. It's not me. Uh, yeah, I just don't want this news to get out because I don't want Google trying to find ways to get more of that money. Oh, I'm sure they already hey, are. Google are already knows this. No, I know. Yeah, they already know what their demo is. It's true. It's part of their plan. And then those those uh, poor, poor AltaVista users. Where'd they go? <laughs> AltaVista users. <laughs> we're seriously like, who? Uh, AltaVista, they still around? Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. I used Babblefish. God, that joke died. <laughs> Should have brought up InfoSpace. Remember them? It's because it's, the podcast is remote. It's hard for me to keep up. Yeah, you can't read Molly's uh, expression. She was dying about that. Oh, good, that is, good. Yeah, I was. That made me feel better. I was wheezing with silent laughter. Now, uh, usually we just pass along the postings and then discuss the issues at hand, but this is one posting which actually just got me thinking. Uh, it was an, a Slashdot posting about a Guardian article asking if... OpenOffice is a success. Why is it so buggy? And does it illustrate the limits of open source? And I have been using OpenOffice, I don't know, Molly, when did I, like or sometime in June, July, I think, is when yeah. I, I switched over to that. And you've been talking of nothing else ever since. That is not true. <laughs> uh, but what I have found is that it is not a nice replacement for Microsoft Office. It is a replacement. And if you can't afford Microsoft Office, it will afford you the ability to do everything that Microsoft Office can do, but it's huge. You hogs resources. It's slow to open. It messes with things. A PowerPoint in OpenOffice doesn't look exactly the same as a PowerPoint will look in in Microsoft Office. True. The, you know, some of the Excel versus OpenOffice uh, spreadsheet things are a little wanky, a little weird. Some things are better in OpenOffice, definitely. Uh, but in day-to-day experience, can I get along with OpenOffice and not use Microsoft Office? Yes. Is it easy? No. Hmm. Interesting. That's also interesting because of the Internet Week story saying about Firefox 1.5 not being ready for prime time. Mm-hmm. And they cite some of the same issues that you just said, slow to load, buggy, resource hog, might have a memory leak, kind of goes on and on. And it, it This is Adam sent us a, a link on this, right? Yeah. Is this what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He says he can't open Firefox without using about 100K, and he Good. started using Opera. I've definitely, I've definitely noticed, I don't use OpenOffice, but I have noticed Firefox, especially if I leave it open, heaven forbid, overnight, but like it'll be using almost all of my CPU resources by the time I log in in the morning. Really? Mileage- and it's like it has to wake up. Like if I, you know, and I, mm. I tend to just put my PC to sleep overnight, come back. And if I start clicking between tabs, it's like a, a 15 to 20 second delay before Firefox realizes like, oh, I'm running. You're that's true of me in the morning too. But. Yeah, it's weird. Well, yeah, that's true. Firefoxes need some coffee. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing. The funny thing is, right, when we first, when you first put in Firefox, you were talking about how fast it was mm-hmm. compared to before. And I, I think I felt that way too because I was using Mozilla Suite before mm-hmm. I switched to Firefox 1.5, which is a much bigger behemoth. Right, it has email and composer and all these other things bundled into it. So Firefox is smaller, but yeah, if you're going straight from Firefox one to one point five, and you're not switching equipment as Molly was, or you're not, uh, or you're not going from a bloated browser like uh, it wasn't bloated, but it's huge. Uh, maybe it is. Maybe it is <laughs> not bloated, but it's huge. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think well, it needs to be huge. Both of these stories raise the question of like proponents of open source software tend to talk about it as though it is inherently better. Period. 
Like, no question, you know? And I think the point is that it's just, it's not all the same. It's another way of developing, and it depends like anything else. I, you know what I think it means is that the open source has matured to the point that it depends on who's working on it. Yeah. And you can have a lot more knowledge available in an open source project, project but you know, the more complex the piece of software, the harder it is going to be to get right, no matter whether it's open source or not. Right. I mean, there's plenty of Office knockoffs out there that are much worse than OpenOffice. And will this cause fans to cut Microsoft a little slack? Yeah, never. No. <laughs> we haven't had much lately on the Microsoft Change of Heart Watch, so. Yeah, true. Uh, moving right along, fingerprint scanners fooled by Play-Doh. Oh, yeah. That's what I want to talk <laughs> about right now. This is hilarious. This is awesome. An associate professor of electrical and computer engineering at Clarkson University has shown that, among other things, biometric security measures were fooled 90% of the time by simple attacks like Play-Doh modes. Now, did they harden the Play-Doh? Because if anybody doesn't know what Play-Doh is, it's like a little clay substitute for kids. It's non-toxic. And you form stuff out of it, and then you let it harden, and then you have little tiny sculptures. Or you keep it in the can, and it keeps soft, and you can reuse it. So I'm wondering, did they actually have the fresh Play-Doh finger, or was it a uh, hardened, uh, you know, molded they Play-Doh used molds. finger? They didn't use molds and then used those to make casts. Uh-huh. But then, so they found that um, that can work, something as simple as Play-Doh or gelatin, fake fingers molded from plastic, and digits from cadavers. Yeah? See, yeah. now that's the one thing. I know with eyes, cadaver eyes won't work because they don't have the same shape. But with Ew. fingers, fingers, as long as you keep them warm and fresh... Yeah, it says the machines could not distinguish between a live sample and a fake one. Weird. I know. It's not there yet, folks. Biometric security. Maybe the eyeball stuff is, but not the finger stuff. Just keep a cool password, right? Six, You know, more than six, at least eight characters probably, and mix up the the letters and the numbers and don't use dictionary words. Actually, there was that interesting report a few months ago that said that um, it might be better to have an easier... To remember password that you use for everything because it would mean that you don't write your password down. Yeah, I, that, the that, the password that was an extremely interesting down. story, right? Because yeah. they say don't use dictionary words because they can be cracked easy. Mm. But then if you have to write your passwords down, that's actually easier than cracking a dictionary password. Exactly. It's in for some somebody cases. to just stumble across your hidden stash of yeah. post-its. Exactly. I'm so bad with that. I'm so bad with passwords. You know, one way to do it is to use an easy-to-remember password, but make sure it's not an obvious word. I right. have a not-obvious word that's not in the dictionary. And then throw in and, numbers. And then I throw in numbers, and, mm-hmm. I, and I mix up the numbers. A little yeah. knowledge Depending elite on which speak one. will go far here. Ooh. Yeah. Huh. You know, another so way is to type, type your password with the row of characters either above or below, <gasps> rather than... That's, that's another trick I've heard about. That's a really wow, good one. Sneaky. So you remember that's... the word, even if someone to read your mind, wow. they might not be able to figure out the password. Huh. Yeah, that seems dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Well, as long as you remember which row you were typing yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it seems like um, nothing will work, and then the result is that you'll have hackers who break into Christian charity websites and steal nice. personal information. Was and that a then... segue? Masterful transition. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. I tried. I'm just trying to keep us moving right along here because uh, I, need, I need a nap. <laughs> Jet lag. No. <laughs> and then you'll have them um, contact people who generously gave money to charities and then try to get more money out of them, That's which just, is awesome. Man, I heard a thing. I read today on Dig that hackers are doing the same thing to organ transplant people. What? Oh. They're trying to um, get more money out of them or something. Wow. Yeah. That was on Dig today. Like, you know, just stick to Grow trying up. to fish us 
savvy, rich Google users. Yeah, Robin Hood it. If you're gonna yeah, do it. seriously? Like, Just don't do it at all. I can at least have a little respect for that, you know? But trying to take things from people who are trying to do good in the world. Mean yeah. people Grow suck. up. Just grow up. That's yeah. what I have to say. I know. Now, this next story is what happens when Molly's not actually in the office and we don't get that close coordination, which is we end up talking about iPod underwear. <laughs> <laughs> That's from the forums. Because I passed on this story. I didn't put it in the lineup, but oh, no, it should Oh, no, I'm not passing that iPod. In. Did you see the picture? Yeah, I, now I understand. <laughs> I think that the guys pictured in the iPod underwear ad, though, are unrealistically buff. <laughs> well, that's For a, iPod that's users. always true of clothing ads, <laughs> For right? iPod users. And, you know, putting an iPod, it's just, basically it's a, it's a boxer shorts with a pocket for your iPod on the side. Yeah, on the called, side. It's called the iBoxer. Okay, the baby onesie, adorable. Yeah. iPod boxers, mm, not so much. Like, why do you need, you, seriously? Just clip it on. Who is so attached to their iPod that they have to carry it around in their undie pants? You know this is going to sell, though. Like crazy. Well, I'm because totally it, putting uh, some under my It's tree. also part of the joke, right? It's not necessarily, yeah, I know. It's, it's one of those things of that people itchy. may not necessarily use. Some people will, but it's funny to give somebody that. They're like, eh, it gets a big laugh. <sighs> yeah, they're awesome. Uh, one thing that did not get a big laugh was the release of the Xbox in Japan. <laughs> thing that did not get a, I like that. <laughs> that was like an MSNBC-worthy segue. Yeah. Um, yeah, while people in America were busy holding each other up at gunpoint, apparently the uh, launch of Xbox 360 was lukewarm in Japan. Really? Yeah, they kind of just didn't care. Yeah. Well, that's because all their stuff is better anyway. So That's true. And they're waiting for PS3. Yeah, but they, revolution. you know, they didn't make Smart. the is the uh, the throwable Wi-Fi camera. Like ODF Optronics Day in Israel did. <laughs> this thing is awesome. It's an, it's called the eyeball. I saw it on Slashdot. You, it's spherical Wi-Fi camera, and then you throw it, you know, into the hostile area or or into the the hostage situation or whatever it is, and then it it sends pictures back. Is it's it just, weighted like one of those little bobbleheads so it stays? I think upright? it's got enough, yeah, it's got enough weight to it that that the you know. I don't, I don't even know if that's the move it. proper term, a wobble, but it's wobble an eyeball. Thing. That is so cool. And I love this. You buy two. You buy two. <laughs> Everybody buys two. Why would you only buy one? Two eyeballs. Um, hey, so funny story. Back in college, I had a friend who did things on the internet and the whatnot. And he would go online and I would say, like, how are you doing that? What are you using? What are you doing? And he would say, oh, I use Prodigy. And then that's why I thought the Prodigy was the internet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and back in the day, people did think of that. Like, mm-hmm. Compu- if they were on CompuServe, I had CompuServe or Prodigy, and then I had Prodigy. That you thought that was the internet. It's like yeah. how people still feel about AOL. <laughs> yeah, some people do. Yeah, that's its lasting legacy, I guess. And now, so many years later, so many years that I will not reveal the number of which, but uh, Prodigy is now up for sale. Wow. I think I might buy it. I think it might be <laughs> you cheap could probably enough. afford you guys it. Wanna, yeah, you guys want to chip in? Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll go in. We'll go in. It's, we'll it's make kinda, it cool again. It's like buying a Commodore 64, you know? It's like a little nostalgia item. Hey, How about so, Prodigy? Do you guys remember the first website you ever went to outside of like like Prodigy or CompuServe, like in the real internet? Because mm-hmm. I do. You do? No, I don't. I honestly. remember the first website I went to. What was it? It was discovery.com. Really? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Huh. And I, I even posted on there, they had a little forum thing. Or like a place where you could leave comments. And I did it. Oh, you know what? I do wow. remember. And it was in a Lynx browser. Wow. It was IMDB. Huh. Because my friend wanted to look up uh, something and he's like, oh, hey, you know what? There's this great s- web site. Web and I was like, site. Web site? What the hell? Web. There's this yeah. great prodigy site. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. The interweb. I think mine might have been Yahoo. 
Hmm. Interesting. We should start a forum thread. That'd be great for the forums. Also, want to thank the forum people for all of the great Firefox extension ideas. Mm-hmm. I am going to sample and try and report back whether I like them and or if I don't. Yeah. <laughs> or if I don't, I'm going to tell you that too. Hey, uh, we were talking about the Canadian iTunes and whether you could fool it with changing your country code. And of course, the real solution was emailed to us and voicemailed to us by a million different people. And it's obvious because I knew this because I've tried to fool it before uh, using little chicanery with credit cards. Here's the here's the uh, the voicemail from me. Hey guys, it's me. Love the show. Wanted to uh, comment about the iTunes uh, in Canada thing. Uh, I think you're going to have to change your billing address as well. I uh, want to say they look into that. So you need a U.S. billing address, uh, and then you can mask your IP. And I'm pretty sure you can pull uh, the iTunes store. Keep up the good work, and talk to you guys later. Oh, wait, that really was you? You it called me. that? Oh, it wasn't you. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was guy said it was me. Okay, uh, yeah, because when him. I heard it, I was like, who's me? No, it was just it was him. That guy. But he's right. And like several other people. Uh, yeah, MLB.com does this to do regional blocking. So if you subscribe to their videos, they use your credit card address to block out your local team so you can't watch them on the interweb. Uh, but uh, if you have a friend, say, in another market... Uh-huh. Then there you go. So Todd has the Sony DRM thing all figured out. He sent us an email, Molly. Yes, I have seen similar speculation. Todd says that uh, he thinks basically they're just trying to get people to stop using CDs. I wish they were that smart. <laughs> I know. Although, you know, I've seen, I have seen that a couple times, and it, it isn't, I don't know that it's totally off base. It's probably a lot cheaper for them to just put out the digital files. Hmm. Uh, we got a message from Southern Girl, who I renamed Game Girl, because she is a gamer girl. Uh, <laughs> Didn't we have a gamer girl? There was, yeah. also, there was also Gamer Girl. I said Southern Girl is a gamer girl. Oh, uh, you can't call her that. We also said she was from North Carolina. She's from South, South Carolina. Carolina. She was very upset We're about that one. And she looked, re-looked at the Frapper map, and uh, we were correct. There is one other pin in the South Carolina map, uh, one in Greenville, which is where she is from, Greenville, South Carolina. I'm from Greenville, Illinois, funnily hmm, enough. Uh, and then there's another one in Columbia, the capital of South Carolina. Hmm. Apparently 35 miles away from where she so lives. So now they can do a little meetup. Awesome. Those two people in South Carolina. Uh, a couple of people wrote back in response to our story about podjacking. Um, a lot of people, actually. I like the one that said that sometimes I, Molly, truly have a head of wood. Uh-huh. <laughs> the poor guy that got annoyed because someone was feeding his site with a different URL probably had tracking on his mind. It's far easier to sell advertising if your tracking isn't spread over several addresses. And you can show the client exactly what numbers you are attracting. I think that is true. However, when it comes to podcasting, and I know this thanks to the Portable X Media Expo, most people only find only reliably track their podcast through the actual MP3 downloads and not through URLs. It's like you just track calls to the file. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how we do it. Yeah, because yeah. that really is truly at this point kind of the only reliable way to do it. Daniel like. did have a good point though. He's in a different email, Daniel said one thing that you could, should watch out for is you could get a significant number of people using the mirrored URL and then switch it to their own feed. Right. Well, and, and cut and, you off. What I said when we first started talking about the story is that when I first read about the podjacking, that's what I thought they did. They haven't because done it. That yeah. did seem like podjacking. But you have to worry about that. You don't want people subscribing to a URL that's not your URL. Yeah, that's Just true. That's a simple. good point. Hey, the Frapper maps at six ninety eight. Come good on, Lord. two more people, seven hundred. Oh, I can't believe it. That's awesome. And I want to shout out to Alada Kunbo in Antelope, California, just because it's fun to say his name, even if that's not exactly correct. But I think it's close. <laughs> Uh, he says, I have a long name and I love your show. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. 
Join in the conversation at our forums, forums.cnet.com. Look for the Buzz Out Loud Lounge. You can also call us 1-800-616-CNET and give us an email, buzz at cnet.com. Molly is on tour all week. Where are you going next, Molly? I will be heading to Tampa tomorrow. Well, poor thing. Where you can catch me on the NBC affiliate, WFLA, sometime between 10 and 11 a.m. What time do you leave? Uh, for Tampa? Yeah. Tomorrow around 3.50 in the afternoon. Oh, okay. So Something this will like be, that. you'll be on Wednesday morning? I will be on Wednesday morning. Okay. And I will not be in tomorrow's podcast. I'm sorry to report. Oh, uh, I'm sorry to hear I that know. All right. Well, folks, keep your eyes out. Molly could be appearing in a town near you or a truck stop or who knows what. And another <laughs> thank you to the boys from Boston for our pizza. Yay. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Adios. Bye. Bye. Bye.